Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Delta Flight 4982, service to Detroit. My name is Anna, and I'll be your Hi, this is Seth Mosley, and you're listening to the Full Circle Music Show, the why of the music biz. Today on the Full Circle Music Show, we've got something a little bit different for you. Recording this episode, we did this all on the road. I recently had the opportunity to go out on a radio promo tour with an artist that we work with on FCM Records. His name's Matt Hammett. We're promoting a new single he's got out called Tears. And for this promo tour, we went out with two of the biggest radio promoters in the Christian radio promotion business, Chris Hauser and Matt Engel. Now, what they didn't know was that in addition to being radio promoters, while they were out with us, I turned them into our podcast guests. I brought a little mobile rig with me, so you'll hear a little bit of background car noise, but I think that just kind of adds to the reality that, hey, we're in a real-world situation. We're out promoting a single that we're trying to drive up the radio charts, and you're getting to hear straight from the experts of, well, how do you break a song at radio? So this was literally just a very raw, real conversation I was having with them. And then I just hit record in the middle of that conversation. So you'll sort of hear their surprise, but they were great at playing along. And honestly, this has been probably my favorite podcast episode so far, just because of how things actually work in radio business. And for anybody who's trying to grapple with the task of how do you get a song on radio? How do you break a song? And do I even need to break a song on radio at all? For a lot of artists out there, radio may be a lane that you don't even need to focus on. But for those of you who believe in the power of radio and believe that your music could fit there and could serve there, then this episode is one that you're not going to want to miss. You're going to want to listen all the way through to the end. So like I said, this is live on the road with Chris Hauser and Matt Engel. And we are going to jump right into the car. We're somewhere in the Midwest with Chris Hauser. So fall of 1988, I get the short straw and I have to go to a day-long Grammy meeting in LA because they invited somebody from the Murr office to sit in on the Grammy meetings. I was in the Christian division. And so we were taking records and then deciding does this fit here? Should this go somewhere else? And so the song, the I Predict 1990 album comes from Steve Taylor. And it was the album that we released the year before. And the cover had Venetian, turn of the century Venetian art that was done by Deb Taylor, Steve's wife. But a guy named Tex Mars, I think Tex Mars, out of Dallas, Texas, who was a preacher and a crazy conspiracy theorist, said that it was a tarot card. And so we got the crap kicked out of us. The record was misunderstood. And, you know, Steve Taylor's holding his hand a certain way. And the album title is I Predict 1990. And so people are saying it's a tarot card and this is witchcraft. And Steve was continually growing in the way he was communicating his faith through the 80s. So this was somewhat of a dark record. It was not all the quirky, fun stuff of the early 80s. I Want to Be a Clone, Meltdown at Madame Tussauds, This Disco Used to Be a Cute Cathedral. It was heavier stuff than that. One song was about blowing up abortion clinics oh, called wow. I Blew Up the Clinic Real Good. 
And since I gave up hope, I feel a lot better about how Christian college students are by and large in America. <laughs> anyway, we get into this thing and Billy Ray Hearn of Sparrow Records says, it's not a gospel record. This should not be in here. This is not a gospel record. And I'd worked the record for the last year. I said, it was released on a Christian label. It was sold through Christian bookstores. And Billy Ray says, it's not a gospel record. That's why we let it go. We we didn't put the record out. Murr Records bought it from us because we didn't want it. Not a gospel record. I was like, well, it's, but it's, ah. And again, I'm 28 years old. I'm probably on the verge of sweating so profusely <laughs> that my glasses are fogging up at this point. The heat coming off my face is so strong. There's a guy named Don Butler, who was a former head of Gospel Music Association, and he's a dyed-in-the-wool old Southern gospel guy. And he's like, well, we should just listen to the record. Uh, and then there's another guy in the room named Hoss Allen, and he's this historic guy who had this black gospel show on AM 1540 WLAC in Nashville for years that would go hours every night, and it could be heard all over the South and the Midwest. And so people are starting to say, well, let's listen to the record. And I find one song, a song called Jim Morrison's Grave, that has a mention of God in it. It's like, please forgive me, Lord, I don't understand. This was about the most blatantly Christian thing that I could find. <laughs> and I play the song and everyone's listening to the song and I'm kind of recounting lyrics out loud as it's happening. And the song ends and Haas Allen goes, what the hell was that? <laughs> and Don Butler goes, that ain't gospel. <laughs> and Billy Ray Hurd goes, I told y'all, I told you it ain't gospel. That's why we let it go. <laughs> and so they sent the record over to the mainstream rock category where it was quickly forgotten. Oh, man. My amazing. Lord. That's amazing. <laughs> no, keep going, man. <laughs> this is amazing. So can you just recap again your beginnings okay go back to the radio station in 19 you said it was 79 i was in college for two years at a community college in syracuse new york and i started working at a christian radio station wyrd weird radio yes you sounded out phonetically weird, weird radio <laughs> we called it word radio on the air but it was truly was pretty weird radio <laughs> So I started there part-time in 79, and then I went full-time the day after I graduated with that two-year degree in radio TV communications. And so I think I started making about $9,000 a year at that radio station. It was an AM daytimer, meaning the longer the days were, the longer we were on the air, literally. So in the summer, I would sign the radio station on at 6 a.m. I'd work till 11. That would be my first five hours of the day. I'd go home and putz around for a few hours. Then I'd come back at five o'clock and work until 8.45 and sign the station off. That was my life as a 20-year-old <laughs> in 1980. And you're making huge money. I'm here. making huge money doing this at $9,000 a year. And I overslept twice. <laughs> and when you oversleep at a radio station that starts with paid programming from Jay Vernon McGee or Jimmy Swaggart or Jim Baker, if that show doesn't air, then that radio station is not able to bill 
the ministry. And so I lost that station money twice by sleeping in, by forgetting. I'm 20 years old. I'm up till two in the morning or something. And I'm supposed to be up at five to get into the station to sign on. And thank God for a PD, my boss, who fought for me with the GM to not fire me. And I have no idea where my life would be had I been cut loose from Christian radio that early on as a 20 year old. So I'm very, very grateful for that. But eventually we moved into a double wide trailer in a swamp in East Syracuse, New York. We were AM FM by that time. And I was program director at this radio station. I had a rock show on Saturday nights called Pressing On, which was named after a Bob Dylan song from the Saved album that came out in 1980. And then I was an AC reporter as well. And so the charts came out once a month. I remember Twyla Paris, The Warrior is a Child, produced by Jonathan David Brown. Rest in peace, Jonathan David. And the song was number one for four months straight. (laughs) The Warrior is a Child. Because the turnover was so, so slow during that time period. How big was the Christian audience at this time? Uh, I mean, our biggest in Syracuse, New York, We know that we had the most listeners during the family rosary hour, which was live every night from 6.30 to 7 p.m. Wow. Uh, That was our biggest audience when we would plug in with this phone line so people could say the rosary at night. And again, I was not a great program director because I was so passionate about the music that I would get on the air and I would talk incessantly about liner notes and all this crap about all the trivia and all this bizarre stuff that I loved so much about Christian music and the backstories and all that kind of stuff. And now I've come into it. I'm like, yeah, Chris, nobody cares but you. So again, I was not good at this job. It was good that I got out of the job. Yeah. Labels were the ones coming to you trying to get you to play their stuff. Uh huh. And at what point did that light go off that you wanted to be that guy? Man, I mean, pretty quickly... I was passionate about the music. Again, like I promoted shows, I promoted concerts, and people quickly, there were promoters, there were agents in Nashville that started to figure out, you know what? Syracuse has got a very passionate program director at a radio station up there. And so we were starting to route tours through with Milo Lefevre and Broken Heart, with this new artist named Margaret Becker opening up and we did Rick Kua shows and Petra wow. and Amy Grant with Chris Eaton mm. opening as well. DeGarmo and Key, Daniel Amos, Randy Stonehill, <laughs> just tons and tons of shows. Repeat concerts from Mylon Lefevre and Broken Heart numerous times. And um, man, it was just such a delight. If you had a question, I've forgotten it. No, no, no. So when did you switch from radio guy to the guy promoting two radio stations. I went to GMA in 1987 to meet as many people as I could because I was just really tired of the radio gig. I was not great at it. I was not making hardly any money. And I paid my way to go to GMA in 87 to meet as many people as possible and make the case, I want to come work for a record company. And so that following September, Murr Records in Los Angeles started to reach out to me and say, we think we might have a a position available for you. And so it was a pretty powerful experience for me. My wife got pregnant in August of 87. And so, you know, her body was changing, her 
brain chemistry was changing relative to having a baby inside of her. And so when this job offer came together, we got into this huge argument about it. And I was like, why can't you see that this is my dream, that this is my dream job for the biggest label in the land, Amy Grant, Russ Taft, the Imperials, so much amazing music coming from this label. And this could be my dream job. And she looks at me and she says, I don't know if I could trust a man who would move me that far away from my family. Wow. Move me that far away from my parents. Wow. And I was just like, okay, time out, time out. Let's go to our respective corners. Let's pray for a couple of days, see if we get anything from the Lord. And then let's just come back together in a couple of days. So we just didn't talk about it for two days, tried to stay low and humble and pray about it. After two days, we got together again. And I said, okay, look, you're the most important thing in the world to me. This baby inside of you is going to be the second most important thing in the world to me. And if you cannot fathom the idea of us moving away from your parents during this time period, then I just have to trust that God's got something else for me. Yeah. And she looks at me. Sometimes I get choked up about this. And she looked at me and she goes, I won't be able to live with myself if in 20 years you're stuck in some dead end job here in Syracuse. And we always wonder, gosh, what might it have been like had we actually reached for the golden ring. Wow. And so out of all that, we together as a couple pursued the idea of actually making the move. It was, we moved to LA where it's always sunny in 78. (laughs) And we dream about going back there and retiring. We were there, I call it my three-year Disneyland experience. But I worked some of the biggest records of all time in Christian music. Amy Grant, Lead Me On. Wow. Rust Half, Rust Half, and Rust Half, The Way Home. Three albums by the choir. The first Julie Miller record, Meet Julie Miller. We broke David Mullen in 1989. And Brian Duncan, Anonymous Confessions of a Lunatic Friend. (laughs) Truly one of the weirdest album titles of all time. (laughs) Any genre, any format, all of recorded history. (laughs) I worked a Philip Bailey record. That was kind of cool. A solo Philip Bailey record. And I truly came into my gifting. And I can go back, you guys, as a 10-year-old. I can go all the way back to 1970 when my family went and saw Godspell in Binghamton, New York, half an hour away. And I was so moved by this musical expression of faith. I saw that show and I cried. I was so moved by it. And the next morning, Saturday morning, I'm back in my small town. I come out my front door and I run into my best friend's mom, Mrs. Thomas. She's walking up the street and I'm walking down the street and I get in front of her and I stop her. And I say, Mrs. Thomas, Godspell is in Binghamton and it's playing again tonight and the music and the message and all of this was so amazing and I fully was prepared for her to drop everything and go Chris thank you for this I'm going to go to Godspell tonight and so I just looked at her and I was like so you're gonna go right I'm 10 years old and she looks at me and she's like oh oh no Chris I've got other plans for tonight but I was fully prepared to have talked her in to you know, changing her plans completely. So I can go back to 10 years old being passionate about music and passionate about an expression of faith in music. And then, I mean, further into high school, I led a campaign for Led Zeppelin's The Rain Song to be our junior prom theme. And I remember running up and down the halls, banging a pot and pan together, getting people riled up about voting for Led Zeppelin's The Rain Song from Houses of the Holy in 1973 
to be our prom theme. <laughs> and sadly, there were more girls in our class than guys. And a song called I Like Dreamin' yeah. by a guy named Kenny Nolan, truly a one-hit wonder, okay. was our Deposit Central High School junior prom theme simply because <laughs> of gender voting. Yeah. And I remember the pain and the humiliation of losing that. <laughs> and at my 30th high school reunion, girls were teasing me in 2008 saying, Chris, remember what our prom theme was? I said, yes, Kenny Nolan, I like dreaming, which is at best now an answer in trivial pursuit. And Led Zeppelin remained the greatest rock band of all time. Thank you very much. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> but you talked about you started tapping into your skill set, which I don't even know if you remember this, but when I first moved to Nashville, I talk a lot about this on our podcast that my first record that I got was Newsboys Take Me to Your Leader. Then my first label record I produced was this one called Newsboys Born Again, which you were working on. Yes. And I think I met you once maybe at Wes's house. Then I saw you like, I don't know, a month later or something and you were like, hey Seth, it's good to see you. And the fact that you even just remembered my name oh, wow. was huge. To me, your competitive advantage is you actually care about people uh, and, and I think, you're great with relationships. Thank you, man. So, uh, that means that means a lot. And again, it's a this is a small industry we're in and I'm in my 30th year of promotion. Wow. Radio promotion. And I think I'm starting to get it figured out, but every once in a while something comes along and surprises me, but I've seen a lot of people come in and go out from this industry. And one of my favorite clients, Brash Music, who had yeah. Aaron Schust yeah. and Mutt and Gunger, their MO was life's too short to work with jerks. Mm. And good. I also believe very strongly that you reap what you sow. Yeah. And whatever you sow, you reap way more and you reap way later. Yeah. It's just the way it is. You yeah. can go out to a field with a handful of seeds and throw it out into the field. You don't go out the next day and say, oh my gosh, look at all the growth. It takes a long time, but all the growth that comes into a field from one handful of seeds. And so I've always tried to be about sowing good seed, doing my best to love people well, and not losing myself in the process, which at times has been a challenge for me. Yeah, dude. I, I don't remember meeting you, <laughs> and I wish I did, but it's been an amazing thing to watch your trajectory as well, and to be doing this. We're on a promo tour yeah, right now. This, that's the fun thing right now. We're out with an uh, artist named Matt Hammett. Yeah, yeah. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> We're actually promoting his new single, Tears. So this is what you do all the time, right? Yes. So these radio stations, we're visiting six, seven radio stations in two days. My record is 13 stations in three days. Wow. Uh, that was up in the Midwest. That involved taking a high-speed ferry across Lake Michigan <laughs> from Muskegon, Michigan, over to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Amazing. Dropping off one rental car, picking up another rental car, and continuing to go. But these radio stations have a hard job. They've got 50 to 75 singles getting work to them yeah. every week by 30 to 35 record promoters, both between labels and indies. Sure. And so... One of the ways that we get noticed is by bringing artists directly to them. And Matt is so beloved for, you know, radio stations are going to play Lead Me. 
every day until Jesus comes back. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a matter of fact. No one's going to get tired of Lead Me by Sanctus Real. And so I never worked a Sanctus Real record. I've watched them from afar and been so impressed with them and their ministry. And so, you know, there are other people you could go to, but you came to me to take this record to radio. I'm very honored by it. But in addition, I'm moved by it. I have to love, this is what I tell people. I make a great living talking to my friends all day long about music I love. It's a pretty good job. So I turn down the records I don't love. I take the records that move me and the records that I love by artists that I respect. And I'm calling my friends. I'm not calling adversaries. I'm not talking to people at radio that I have to buffalo or steamroll or belittle or slam a phone down and swear and call them jerks behind their backs. I love these people. These are my friends. So I get to just go bring Matt and you, Seth, to my friends for the next two days. And these are people who work hard, like me, back in the day, they do it way better than me, but none of them are making you know major amounts of money. They're doing this for love and calling, and yet they're the venue, they're the avenue that we will go through to get this song on the air. And it's already impacting countless thousands of people around the country in a very, very short amount of time. Yeah, well, even on the it's on Sirius Highway or Sirius XM, the message they debuted the lyric video and we were just looking on the way up here and it's already at 37,000 views and 893 shares which is a pretty substantial metric for yes a brand new label essentially relaunching an artist yes so that's a huge thing yes are you ever surprised and shocked with like a song that you think is going to work doesn't work or a song that you don't think is going to work just blows up yes i would say my joke on that is Through years of therapy, I've been able to mellow out a little bit, (laughs) but there were times 10 and 15 years ago that I was sure a song was going to be a smash and nobody wanted it. It's like these 115 radio PDs got together in a smoky room somewhere (laughs) and all decided what they were going to tell us promoters for the next year. And then they'd all go like break and they'd clap hands and they'd walk out. And so when I would get this massive pushback on a song in the early days of this kind of promotion, I would go like, I don't know what a hit is anymore. I've lost it. And then I would go to the next step. I'm like, am I even a Christian? I mean, you know, and then I'd go all the way to like, God, are you even there? I mean, if I can't. (laughs) And so again, years of therapy have helped mellow me out and life experience just to get into a better spot of going, you know what? Sometimes I'm wrong, a lot of times I'm right, and sometimes it's the radio stations that will say, oh no, that's not a hit. I try to slow the no. I try to slow them down because it's like, if you make a pronouncement, a negative pronouncement on a song this early, it's gonna be that much harder for you to admit you're wrong eight months down the line, six months down the line. Let's just calm down. You tell me no now, it's fine. I'm just going to go find 20 people that you respect (laughs) and get them to play the song. And we'll come back around. We'll just keep talking about it. And those people they respect, is that other radio promoters? No, no, other radio stations. Radio stations. Other radio stations. So then they're watching around to see who else 
because it's all defensive posturing and maneuvering. It's all, they don't want to add a record. A radio station will say, we'll never be hurt by a record we don't play. Do you get that? Wow. We can never be hurt by a record we don't play, meaning we might be hurt if we go too early on a song that our listeners end up not liking. Sure. So we'd rather watch the landscape and see what people are playing out here. And I was like, okay, that's fine. There are leaders, there are followers. If you need to be a follower on this, no harm, no foul. We're just going to keep working this. So we got to talk to John Mays a few days ago and they were saying that, I don't know, K-Love is down to 16 new there's a term for it, new songs that are on their rotation. Uh, uh, currents. The currents. Yeah, the currents. Yeah, the songs that are getting the most rotation. Is that pretty standard across the board that most stations are down to about 15 or 16? You know, that makes me want to jump out of this car right now. <laughs> but for me to do real damage, Matt, you're going to need to speed up a bit. <laughs> there are consultants who will say, man, we've got eight currents. We've got wow. 10 currents. And when we dropped it from 20 currents down to 12 and then down to 10 and maybe eight currents, and we're just playing more songs, but we're playing less songs more frequently and keeping people tuned in. I'm like, why don't you just play four songs? Just play four songs over and over and over again. My Savior, my God, lead me, (laughs) praise you in the storm, and holy is the Lord. Just put those four on repeat. Your numbers are going to go through the roof. Of course, I'm being silly and (laughs) but yeah there is a science to it so 16 is maybe maybe the low end of the average sure but yeah 16 currents is that's pretty rough so you've kind of had a little bit of surprise i don't even know if you're are you allowed to talk about it but the danny goki single since it's a while ago hope in front of me yeah the story with that Is pretty <laughs> remarkable. We had seven out of the box ads on that song. Seven out of seven out of one fifteen. We were working the record to one hundred and fifteen stations. We had seven out of the box ads because not many people obviously cared about Danny Goki in January of twenty fourteen. They just didn't care because their sense of it was he's an American Idol guy and he had somewhat of a failed country career. And so we're just going to watch and see what happens here. There were weeks in those first few weeks of promotion where the other promoter, Matt Engel and I would get on a very uncomfortable conference call with management and label and go, uh, we got no ads this week. Nobody's pulling the trigger, but we've got some that are hopeful. I mean, you've got to be a hopeaholic to be in my position. (laughs) You've got to keep hope very much alive and not give up hope but also with an air of reality, you know, having a reality check and all that. And so I really did not think that song had a number one potential because by six months into the promotion on it, we were still missing probably about 15 major stations in the country and a lot of back and forth with the label and management. Danny worked very, very hard visiting tons of stations. I drove him there as well as Matt, the other promoter. Sure. We just did not give up. And Danny's personality is very winning. He loved on people. He's got a great story with his first wife who passed away and the ministry that he ran during that time period with Sophia's heart. And so it was just a beautiful experience. And so we, in the last, this is where it takes real commitment and not giving up and believing 
as a team and working together, we just kept digging deep and finding a station here and there who would, we got Dallas and then we got Seattle and then we got Riverside and then we got other stations and people just one by one started turning the tide for Danny. And so we were number one by the end of August. Sure. Of 2014. So that was a conversation with Chris Hauser. Tons of good insights. He's been in the industry for a long time. He's one of the leading radio promoters. Before we jump into the Matt Ingalls section, because this podcast was recorded over a couple weeks on a radio promotions run, I'd love to just share with you a quick announcement. So maybe you've heard of our Music Makers Boot Camp. We've received rave reviews already, and you might have been able to attend one of ours. We do them from time to time, a couple times a year in Franklin, Tennessee. The good news is we have a waiting list up at fullcirclegoeslive.com because you'll be at the very front of the list and have priority access to tickets for the very next time that we announce one, which will be coming up very soon. So head over to fullcirclegoeslive.com. These events have been described as life-changing, as very helpful, as very tangible. We try to get the best industry experts together under one roof to come and share their insights and knowledge about the music business so it doesn't have to be some big secret, some big mystery. So that's the Music Makers Boot Camp, a condensed weekend of intense learning and education and networking. So check that out. It's at fullcirclegoeslive.com. Get on the waiting list. And don't miss your opportunity to get to the next one. So check that out. It's at fullcirclegoeslive.com. And now let's jump into the second part of the interview. This is with Matt Engel. We're driving somewhere in Indiana, and you're just getting to drop in right on the middle of this conversation. So here's me in the car with Matt Hammond and Matt Engel. I got into radio in 2007. I applied for the job as national promotions manager at Sony because a friend of mine, Jackie Marishka, was the publicist there. She was the VP of publishing. And I'd been writing for Relevant Magazine before that. So you were a copywriter before? Yeah, well, I was like a feature writer. So I was teaching high school English. I came down to Nashville to do Christian music. I grew up in a house where music was a really important part of being influenced. And so they pushed Christian music on me from an early age. And they didn't push it hard, but they knew that if they kept it in front of me, I would find stuff that I would resonate with and it would kind of keep me away from the gangster rap and stuff that I was kind of more interested in at the time. So anyway, I just always knew I wanted to do something with Christian music and I wasn't a great musician and I knew it was going to be hard to just get a job at a record label, but I knew it was going to be even harder if I didn't move down to Nashville to do it. So after college, I got married and we just moved to Nashville and I had an education degree, so I taught high school English in Franklin, Tennessee for three years. On my summers off, I started doing a lot of writing. What high school? Independence High School Yeah. in Thompson Station, which was a brand new school when I got there. I was part of the first staff at that school. It was one of those things where I just started writing kind of for fun and then sending it out to a handful of places and Relevant took a lot of my work and then they just kind of kept having me come back. And then I also wrote for All the Rage magazine and the Tennessean in Nashville, like a regional entertainment magazine. And I was just doing a bunch of spotlights on artists coming through Nashville and calling one of the members of their band or calling the artists and doing a feature story on them before it's kind of a promotion for them coming into town. And just through that, I started meeting people, you know, 
the publicity teams of different record labels, and one of them, she was working with Jars of Clay at the time, and I think I maybe said something that, like, hey, if there's ever, kind of joking, but I was being serious, I was like, if there's ever anything that opens up at Sony, like, please let me know. I'd be definitely interested. And I'd applied for jobs before, but I was just incredibly unqualified, because I had an education degree, and I was teaching English. But there was a job that opened up, in the national promotions department I had no idea what that was at the time and I didn't care I applied for it and she was somebody who got me kind of on the fast track to an interview I think there's 200 people that applied for this specific job because at the time Provident Label Group was the premier record label in Nashville I mean Casting Crowns was just blowing up Third Day was probably at their height Michael W. Smith Jars of Clay Brandon Heath was taking off 10th Avenue North hadn't started yet, but I mean, they were going to be on the verge of breaking out. So they had a lot going on, and that was the label that everybody wanted to work with. And again, I had no idea what I was doing, but I applied for the job and somehow got it. It was amazing because I even went into the interview thinking I, I shouldn't really be here. But Brian Deshawn, who hired me, just saw something in me that he knew that it was something that could be trained and taught. And he knew that I didn't understand anything about radio or promotions and to me it was this radio was always the thing where you know DJs play what they want to hear like if they want to hear a certain song from you know Casting Crowns or Mercy Me or Sanctus Real they would just play that song and whatever songs became popular they would just play more I didn't realize there was a whole sales element and pitching and proposing that went along with promotions so talk, talk about that what were some of those things that you had to learn kind of just by trial by fire mm-hmm. you know yeah the three things I feel like I probably had to learn instantly was just what is radio I was never a radio person I never was never in any media outside of you know journalism like written journalism I had no idea how radio worked I didn't know how spins worked and airplay and audience and there's all these terms like cum and TSL time spent listening all these things that were completely over my head so I had to learn all of that and I had to learn the culture of the building that I was in I'd always worked in a school so I was you know my daily work life looked a lot different I was around a handful of teachers every day and hundreds of students kids and obviously it was a lot different walking into a building sitting down and having just meetings all the time and learning how does this music label record label what does it mean to have a tactical meeting what does it mean to to talk about you know strengths and weaknesses of a marketing plan and all that so it was all completely brand new to me that's amazing to me you went straight from teaching high school into doing radio promotions at a major label yeah yeah that's amazing yeah, the thing that he saw that no, Brian no saw in, me. No, no, no internship, no, nothing, no, just no, not up. at all. I mean, so uh, the, but the thing is, it always felt like there was a lot that I did not know. Obviously, I went in, and essentially the first six months of my job there was kind of an internship. I mean, it was. My boss was great. He would bring me into his office, and he would have a whiteboard, or he'd use his window with dry erase markers, and just we would just talk about. What is the objective of a radio station? What is the objective of a music programmer and a program director? And what's the objective then of what we do? And But the thing is that he couldn't teach me 
and this is why he hired me, is that he saw that I was just somebody who's going to be highly relatable and somebody that just had a personality that was going to be able to endear myself to lots of different people, 20 different people in one work day, and be able to meet all of those people to some degree where they're at. To a large degree, you, for my job, I had to, it's called individualism, and I don't know if you guys have ever done strength finders, but it's one of the, one of my top five strengths is individualism, which is basically being able to walk into a room and have a conversation with 20 different people and knowing that all 20 of those people can be very different from each other, being able to find ways to connect with all 20 of those people on some level that's comfortable, you know, and to be honest, a lot of times I don't feel like I do a very great job at that all the time, but I also know that just the fruit of my life I've maintained a lot of great relationships with lots of different people, and especially in this world, again, I guess the fruit of that came when I could have 20 different conversations in a day with 20 different radio programmers all over the country, and none of them were miserable calls. <laughs> you know, none of them were conversations that I just was dying to get off the phone with, or they were dying to get off the phone with me. You know, it wasn't, it was very comfortable. The thing that always impresses me with guys like you and Chris and really anybody that works in radio promotions is always knowing that you've got this objective. You obviously want stations to play your songs that you're working, but you've mm-hmm. also got this relationship balance where yeah. at the end of the day, you know, you're going to be talking to them next week about something else. How do you strike that balance between, Hey, will you play this song versus, you know, Hey, let's just talk. Yeah. That's a great question. I think, to get a little on the personal side before I even get totally deep into that question, one of the things as I went into independent promotions especially, I went through some pretty incredibly difficult and traumatic family crises in 2009 where my wife and I split, my wife left and and moved away and I was kind of in a place of desperation and realized that I have to keep working, I have to keep doing something to provide for my family But I started realizing that as important as my job is, it wasn't the most important thing. My family was the most important thing. And so there was an element in my conversations with radio people that was, there's no desperation to get them to play a certain song. Because to some degree, I can't say I didn't care if they played the song or not, because I definitely cared. But it wasn't, they didn't feel the pressure from me that, they were completely letting me down if they decided not to play a song that I'm promoting. At that time, there were things that were way more important to me, and I just had a different perspective. And to me, it was I wanted to do the best job that I could, but I also knew that a station in Houston adding my song was not going to be a defining factor in my life. So I didn't put the weight on them, and I think they appreciated that. I think they appreciated me not pressuring them and feeling like if they don't add this Newsboys song that I'm promoting to them, that they're letting me down. Because these guys are, radio guys are highly overworked and to a large degree, pretty underpaid. And I think I've always walked into the conversations with them with a lot of empathy that they've got a lot going on. And music decision making for them is just one of probably a dozen different things that they're doing in a given week. And they have a passion for music, which is why they're doing what they're doing, but they don't have a whole lot of time 
necessarily to devote to listening to music and sometimes their hands are tied with how many songs they can get on the air and on top of that there's a lot of songs that might just not fit what their market is looking for and so the reason I've continued to have favor with a lot of these guys and why they keep taking my calls after years is that they know that I respect that they know their listener a thousand times better than I do. So I'm never going to think that they're stupid or be condescending towards them in any way if they're not playing a song that I'm working. And there's going to be freedom and I'll keep coming back. There's going to be another song that I'm going to need from them at some point. And maybe this isn't the one, but maybe sometime down the road, you know, they know that there's going to be something from me that they'll be working anyway. Totally. And I've just been thinking a lot lately, and, and me and a buddy were talking about this last week, and this whole idea of conditional relationships. Mm-hmm. And I think living in Nashville and working in the music business, it's hard because we're friends with all the people that we work with, and I don't want my relationships with them to be conditional on if they work with me or not, mm-hmm. because, you know, life's too short for that. So, you know, take yourself back to the front end of this. When you were, like, just getting going and you didn't have a rapport with them, I mean, what's the balance of like asking versus just, you know, how much of a conversation is even talking about your music that you're working? Yeah, that's another great question, Seth. I would say it all depends on the week. It all depends on, I would say for the most part, I try to keep radio, like my conversations with radio people to around 15, 20 minutes. And there's some people that are just so accessible and maybe, you know, some of the stations that are larger stations if they're available to talk with every week I'll call them every week and then there's some stations that I probably only need to really talk with once every other week I would say yeah if there's just a 15 minute phone conversation let's just say probably 10 minutes of that generally is catching up on what's happening with them at the station I always like to ask a question like what are you looking forward to what's coming up that you've just got on your mind a lot right now I also have learned over the last couple of years, and I try to balance this out well too, but to talk about myself a little bit, because it seems like for a while, I was just all about pouring into them and wanting them to feel special and feel heard and ask them a lot of questions. But then I started realizing after a few years that they don't really know me. Like I'm talking with these guys every week. And I think in a little bit of a false humility, me thinking that it was better for me to just ask them all the questions, I realized they don't really know me and I actually kind of need to give back. They're giving and giving. So I've had to learn to share a little bit about what's going on with my life too, just so that there's an actual real relationship there. And then the rest of it will be songs, talking about here are the songs that I need that I'm most interested in your specific station being on right now. And that list will change for every station I talk with. There's never just a set priority list. Fish LA might be on three of my songs and Fish Atlanta might be on six of my songs. So their priorities are going to be different, how I prioritize what songs I'm working to them. Artists out there who are writing songs with radio in mind, I feel like your ear has to be pretty tuned in to what, at least what you think is going to work. I mean, how do you decide whether you're going to take on a single or not? What's the quality that you kind of look for? I think the biggest thing I have to look for is this is, is this a song that I can listen to over and over again. Because you'll have to. Because I'm going to have to, <laughs> yeah. Because I'm going to have to, and then obviously, if a Christian radio station adds the song, the nature of, a, of an adult contemporary Christian, AC, Christian station 
if they want they want to play hits and if that's a hit song that song's going to be getting 14 to 1500 spins before they you know in heavy rotation or in current rotation so it's got to be a song that i can hear over and over again which to that degree it has to have a, a hook that is catchy and somewhat familiar but not a carbon copy of every it's, it's a hard thing to explain but it's got to have a familiarity to it that sounds like radio sounds like the songs that you grew up listening to that we've all grown up listening to that that caught our, caught our ear something about it resonates with us that we want to hear that again um but it's also got to have a message that i can connect with and i'll be honest man there's a, so many times when i thought that i've had that song and it just wasn't it was not a hit <laughs> i can find out pretty quickly what songs those are because um, I'll, I'll take them to radio and after i have about a, not even a dozen conversations with some of the the radio ears that i radio programmer ears that i respect i can kind of get an idea if this is actually going to be a hit or not um but there's also been times when i've had songs that i wasn't sure was going to do much at all i, I mean pro- probably the biggest song of my career to this point and I've had a lot of uh, really successful songs, but the one that's by probably the most successful has been Ryan Stevenson's Eye of the Storm, Yeah. which when I first heard it, I was going to be... Ryan had had a string of just kind of mediocre songs. He, they were great songs, but radio just kind of could not grasp them, and they just kind of would bubble up into number 28 or 29 on the chart and then go away. And it was getting to the point where I think radio's his equity at radio was just so low people loved ryan they wanted to see him win they just weren't seeing any success with his songs on their stations and so when eye of the storm when we released that i was thinking man i'll be happy if this song even charts if this song gets into the top 30 i'll be thrilled but even then like i don't know that he's going to have much of a career at radio after this because he's given he's taken so many songs out and none of them have worked and you've only got so many shots at doing that before radio just pretty much puts the closes the book on that artist and just says hey this is just not an artist who works for us so how many how many songs was it that you would call a dud on him before that that's a good uh, i would say probably 5 or 6 so you're trying to serve 5 one song, two song, three song, four song, five songs, six mm-hmm. songs. Yeah, I, you know what, man? I'm guess I'm gonna say we took four songs out to, to adult contemporary radio. This was song number five. So, um, so it was song five. And by that point, I mean, what's going through your mind? I mean, are you? Yeah, I mean, I'm just like I'm. It's a little bit of a hail mary. It's kind of like we're back. We're we're down by six points and. Uh, and you know I've, we've got the ball in our own end zone and we got to get it down the field in 10 minutes 10 seconds or something like we've just got to throw the bomb and see if it works obviously it helps to have somebody like Toby Mack who produced the song with Brian Fowler who just had such a strong feeling about it and he's obviously been doing this for so long that he knows what a hit is that's kind of where I'm like I, I think I know what I'm doing but I'm, I, I can't always be 100% confident <laughs> there's always that there's that hopefulness in me where I'm like I hope this is going to be a hit but I can't say 100% sure that it will and I'm not going to say that it's going to be a bomb either of course or I'm not going to take it at all so so was it him was it I mean was he physically like 
you know, going out to stations and saying, hey, play this? Or was it more just him saying, you know what, I think this is going to be a hit, so run yeah, with it? Yeah, for Toby, yeah, it was it was just him telling us internally. I don't think he even made much of a deal about it at radio at all. Um, it was just something that in, internally within the Goatee radio team and, and you know, the, the label team that they they heard something. I mean, we're just like, we think this is... This is the best shot that we have for Ryan right now, you know? And again, I don't know that anybody said it was going to be a number one song. I don't, nobody did. But Toby knew that this was the best shot that we had. It's kind of embarrassing to say this now, but I, uh, I don't know. I don't think I had that kind of uh, positivity towards it. <laughs> Man, just walk me through that, though. So what, what did you guys do different on that single, if anything? And that's that- the thing. Yeah, there's nothing. I mean, we, and at this point, we're, again, like, one of the reasons why I'm really I've I've built such great rapport with radio people is because I, I'm very careful about what songs I take to them because I know that I've only got so much grace with them. If I'm taking out song after song that's just not great, or taking artist after artist to them that's just not worked for them, that's gonna eventually wear them out. And they love me, but, but they're eventually gonna be like Matt, like you just. None, nothing that you send us really seems to work. And so I'm really careful about that. So my re- approach to them with Ryan was, well, for one, again, Ryan has worked very hard to build great relationships with radio. So that helps. People, again, people love him. They want to see him succeed. But it also was, uh, there wasn't anything that I think I did differently other than kind of send the song out and kind of like squint, like, I hope you like this. I hope this is, you know, like, we like it. We hope you do. Um, and that was... And, and just you weren't... Were you, were you using the Toby card at all or not? No. I mean, at that point, I mean, I don't think that there's any... There's not really a card you can play other than listen to the words of this song. This is the kind of song that your listener is going to... They're going to be able to, to put themselves in the story of this song. And they're going to be able to see... Kind of hear this song and think, gosh, this is... This is the exact song I needed to hear at the right at this exact time. And to be honest, there's a lot of those songs that are out at any given time, but there was something that was soulful about this. There was a there's an R&B element to the song that Christian Radio at the time just didn't have. And I think some some of those elements definitely helped too, but there was nothing that we did necessarily in our in our launch of the song to uh, to kind of get people's attention in any other different way had that song not worked do you think that would have been his last shot or <laughs> were, were you guys going to keep going until something worked in anyway it's definitely not my place to say but like in my mind i was i think yeah i mean i i don't know i mean i would hope ryan's such a talented guy and he's a great songwriter i would hope that he would keep going, but I know that there's an there's an element that just felt like if this doesn't work, we don't really know what to we don't really know what to do next. You know, like how much can you keep pouring into an artist, keep making records, and them not working, especially when you need radio. For an artist like that, you just need radio to kind of to give them touring opportunities, to give them, you know, obviously sales and streaming. Um, if none of that was working, then it's like, 
I mean, what? How much can a label or anybody invest? Continue to invest in an in artist? Yeah. So you've got the label background coming from working at Provident, mm-hmm. which was under Sony, going to now doing it completely independently. So you've got that background. Do you, I mean, can you speak a little bit to the power of, of what radio can actually do for an artist's career, aside from just having people hear their music more? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, obviously it's the, the mass consumption of, of hearing the songs and the exposure that that brings. I would say in 2017, the biggest thing that it does is, I mean, obviously album sales are just not a thing as much. They still pay attention to them. It's uh, Sales are still obviously a very important part of the equation of an artist's success but I think the biggest thing and Seth you could probably speak into this as well but I think touring is probably the thing that I mean artists need to if they're going to continue to to keep a career rolling they've got to be in front of people and they've got to be and the best way to get in front of people is to be on big tours of course and the bigger tours are only going to take artists with them and I say when I say big tours I say like the winter jams the the hits deep tour that Toby Mac hosts rock and worship roadshow any casting crowns mercy me newsboys when they go out on the road they're looking at who do we want to take with us as a supporting act that is going to help bring in going to help fill the seats and the people that are going to fill the seats those artists that are going to fill the seats are going to be the ones that have songs on the radio so I really think at this point that's the biggest thing that they're looking for is who are going to be the artists or you know radio is going to help artists get on the road and and sell seats and then when you start selling seats when you get when you sell tickets then you're going to be selling merch and that's obviously another part of the whole equation is of making money Right. So are you at all, I mean, as, as we kind of look to the future of the music business and how everything is going very streaming focused, has that changed your strategy with how you kind of work at all? Or do you still feel like radio is what drives streaming and you just kind of keep your head down and keep doing what you've always done? I think streaming is becoming more and more important by the year. I think the thing that is helpful for my career and as a radio promoter specifically is that the typical Christian radio listener is a probably 30, 38 to 54 year old female and um, they they listen to Christian radio because not necessarily to find the new music but they, they know that this is a place that they can go to to be encouraged and they they have relationships that it's a one-sided kind of one-sided relationship but they enjoy listening to the on-air hosts and they they enjoy hearing what the local value that an, a radio station brings so they're they're going to be they're going to tend to want to listen to the radio more and that's that's the those are the people that I've got a that I'm marketing to I do think that it's important that radio stations start looking towards streaming a little bit more as far as uh, getting you know here's the top 10 songs that are working for us right now we've got a Spotify playlist on our website that we can that link to our website and I honestly don't know if I know why I, I just think that it's some it helps them just promote themselves if if they're going if they have their own Spotify page that is sponsored by you know WFFF um, whatever in New York 
it's just it's another part of their brand that if, when people are on Spotify, they're still associating themselves with that radio station. Yeah, totally. So, and as our listeners can probably hear, there's a turn signal in the background because we are on the road in the middle of a radio tour with Matt Hammett mm-hmm. promoting his single Tears. Is this just kind of another day in the life of Matt Engel? Are you on the road most most days? Actually, I'm not as much. I mean, it kind of goes in, in spurts. Uh, it seems like there'll be a couple months in a row where I'll be out for, you know, maybe two, two and a half weeks. But I really do try to be home as much as I can. Uh, I I just want, I'm, I try to be, you know, the best, most present father that I can. But I do enjoy getting out. I mean, this has been great. We've been on the road for two and a half days so far and we've seen nine radio stations all throughout the midwest and these are my friends and it's fun because matt you know as a friend as a as an artist but also these radio guys are my so it's like i get to be the guy that's kind of introducing you know and everybody knows matt because he's been around for a long time and a lot of these guys have relationships with him way before i was even in the industry it's it almost just kind of doesn't even feel like it's a real job sometimes because i'm just the guy that's Walking, walking my friend into another place to meet a bunch of my other friends, and then I just kind of, to some degree, facilitate, kind of fade out into the background a little bit, and then just kind of jump in when I when the conversation might need a little like facilitation. Sure. Um, but yeah, um, like I'll be out in a couple of weeks with Ellie Holcomb, and we'll do a, a run through the East Coast and go from kind of New York and work our way down the coast a little bit. And then probably about do another thing with Matt at some point, but it kind of comes and goes in spurts. I'd love to talk about radio testing. Okay. How much does that? Well, first of all, let's just go back to basics. How, how do? Let's talk about just like the nuts and bolts of radio stations, and basically just walk us through testing. What is it? How does it work? How do radio stations use it? Yeah, there's a there's a bunch of different types of testing um i'd say the the most common right at the at the moment is um they do these listener panel surveys um there's there's well there's listener panel surveys and then there's also auditorium testing there there are probably others but those are the two main ones listener panel surveys are essentially just hey sign up on our website give us your email address uh, as a radio station, you know, you can be a VIP listener. And for joining our survey, every month you'll, we'll send, or every week, we'll send you this email with uh, this test that you can take. It will link, we'll send you a link to this website. And this website will send you, will feature 15 different sound bites. You know, it'll be like, what do you think about this song? And it'll play, and you, it plays 15 seconds of a hook. Of, a, of one of the songs that they're playing and the the listener then on the panel gets to choose between I like like one through five one I, I don't want to hear this song anymore five I want to keep hearing the song I really like it and then do I do I want to keep hearing this song yes or do I want to do I want to hear it less or do I want to hear it more or do I want to hear it less those are the the two main questions that they ask how much do you like this song and do you want to hear it more or less and then they just take that information and you know usually there's some kind of an incentive behind it if you join our listener panel survey we'll we'll put you we'll give you free tickets to all of our summer concert series or you'll be qualified to win a cd or whatever every every week and so but the incentive for a lot of these these are for mostly like the most hardcore christian radio listeners 
that just want to they they love the music they're affected by the music and they want to to feel like they've got a say in in what they're listening to and what mu- what music the radio station plays and they truly do um, and Christian Radio uses that data then kind of in real time find out what are our listeners digging and what do they what do they not dig and the thing that's crazy about it and this is the thing that's always hard for artists and even anybody on the record side to to hear is that you know on a given week there might be you know for a station like KSBJ in Houston they might have I mean they've got 900,000 listeners every 900,000 listeners in their listener area the panel might be 1300 listeners who actually do the survey which is of course what is that like one seven hundredth of all their listeners um, that are actually listen that are taking the survey but so but they've got that's data whatever it is if it's 1200 listeners that's still data and that's what they've got to use and that's what and that's what they do use and again these listeners are listening to 15 to 30 second clips of each of these songs so they're not listening to the whole song but of course they know these songs so they've been listening to the radio so they don't need to listen to the full song to determine if they like them or not so testing is only for songs that are already on the air they for don't, the most part they don't test new songs that they're like yeah we're thinking about playing this a couple stations uh, yeah there's a handful of stations that will typically throw a couple new songs in um, for the most part they they tend to to keep it to the songs that are in you know light and medium rotation what are the or any and sometimes heavy like are these because they want to find out what songs are burning what songs are what song what songs are people saying they still like but they're they're also saying they want to hear it less because well, I like this song from Mercy Me but we, you've been playing it for seven months now and I'm really getting tired of it so that's what they call a burn the song starts getting a heavier burn you know up into the twenty percent sixteen percent twenty percent um that's enough for stations to say, yeah, our listeners are getting tired of this. At least a certain percentage of them are getting tired of hearing this song. So we got to back it off a little bit. So realistically, most stations that you're dealing with, it's a pretty scientific numbers-driven process of how they decide what songs to play and what songs to drop. Yeah. I mean, and every radio station in the country will say that they only use the, the data that they get from these listener panels these this, this listener research um, as a tool you know it's not the only thing that's going to make the decision for them but a lot of times it does make a difference like if a song is just not testing very well for them it's very unlikely that they're going to move it into heavy rotation you know and again this they would say that it's just a tool but when they've got whatever little hard data they can get just like Nielsen or any of those other companies that do data they, they've got very little true of a panel of you know to go off of but it's still that's hard data they've got to use what they, what they have and um, that'll you know if 1200 of their listeners or 60 of their listeners say they don't want to listen to this song that's usually enough for them to say well I don't know if I want to I don't feel confident moving this song into heavy, even if other stations in the country have moved it into heavy rotation. Does that make sense? Very cool. Great answer. We've got Matt Hammett actually driving us. I'd love to end with Matt maybe asking a question from the artist end because I think the big question artists are always having is like, well, how how do you get on the radio? So if you 
if you rewind to when you first got your first record deal or even before that, you got Matt Ingle, who's a black belt in radio, sitting right next to you in the car. <laughs> what are you going to ask yes. him? What's, what's 18-year-old Matt going to ask him? Yeah, so looking at 18-year-old Matt and all my friends in music, I would more ask you a question now reflecting back on the mindset and maybe even culture of the people I was around. And the big question sometimes is, am I selling out if I write for radio? If I go in to the writing process, either whether it's with other people or my bandmates, and I'm thinking I wanna write this song for radio, there's sometimes a sentiment that I'm selling out if I'm not just pouring my heart out in whatever capacity I feel I need to pour my heart out, like you're not being true to your art. I would ask you to appeal to maybe people who are having that struggle and explain to them the power of radio and why it's important to be a partner with radio. And even from an artistic standpoint, where is that line? And I'd just love you to kind of speak into that sentiment and that culture a little bit. Sure. I mean, I will say that I don't know that every... I think it's pretty safe to say that not every song needs to be a song that's on the radio. And I think if if someone's afraid of selling out um, in order to be on the radio, I don't... I guess that, that my first thought would be check your heart <laughs> and whether or not that's... What, what's your motive for that anyway? And um, if you're writing a song specifically for radio... Is it um, is it something that you want to do, or is it something that you feel like the Lord is calling you to do? Um, because yeah, I don't think that every song that's written should be on the radio. Um, and I think some of my favorite songs ever. I think ninety percent of the songs that are my favorites, I've not, I've never been radio hits. But I do think that. I, I do think radio is more and more is becoming more and more open to songs that are less formulaic and less um, like fitting this very specific standard um, in order to fit into this specific box that is radio that makes everybody happy. Um, I think that you can. I think that if you've got something, especially in 2017, as Christian radio stations are no, are realizing that their their listeners, they've got to start reaching a younger listenership. They've got to start doing figuring out ways to, because their 30 to 50 year old, 39 to 50 year old female audience is eventually those people are going to get older. They need to start figuring out ways to reach the next the next crowd the millennial crowd whatever and in order for that to happen they've got to have songs that are coming out that are coming from a very real place and coming from a very genuine authentic place and I know that's all kind of relative you know what's real and what's authentic and what's genuine but I think those songs kind of surf they kind of find their way to to the surface um, and I don't think that that I don't I think if you're writing from a very genuine and real place and it impacts a lot of people um, because 
because of what you're writing from the experience you're writing from can connect to a, a mass audience I don't think that there's anything selling out about that and in fact I think that's a gift that God has given us like in order and a blessing that God has given you in that moment to be able to share something so so deep and personal and relate that to so many different people across the across the country and across the world so I don't know if that's really answering your question Matt it's a great question I I don't I don't think that there's I, I just get you know maybe it's just because I'm getting older I'm just less and less concerned about selling out I mean if if you get something that rises to the top it's not that you've sold out necessarily it's that you have something that struck a chord and people want to be a part of that and um I don't think that, and I think the songs that if there is a desire to get on radio and if you're really forcing something to happen, I, I, I'm starting to see more in 2017, those songs that are being forced to be that, if you're forcing to make yourself write a radio song, it's, I think it's going to be kind of obvious and it might still be a radio hit, I don't know, but I don't know that it's going to have the re it's going to resonate the same way it's not going to have the longevity and the impact and to be honest the sales because people are going to want to buy the songs that they have an in that they were really impacted by yeah exactly you want a reactive song yeah. so one other question so i would say one thing that i would want to know um early in my career would be beyond writing a great song is there anything else i can do as an artist to make inroads or build bridges with radio stations and radio promoters sure hire Matt Engel <laughs> <laughs> I'm not taking on any new clients right now so but um, I mean I do think it's important to, to take the right route um, I think sometimes it's got to be so tricky to be an artist if you're just starting out I I talk with a lot of new artists and it's and I always have so much empathy for them I don't I don't want to say I feel sorry for them because that's the path that God's they feel like they're led to take this this path and I so that's great and and there's a there's great things ahead of them and it might not be radio but it I it doesn't mean that they're not meant to be an effective and impactful artist but I don't know that like I I know several artists you know will take it upon themselves to you know just kind of show up at the radio stations and kind of a, it's a little bit of an old school mentality you know where you just kind of drop your CD off or drop your your album off or whatever and uh, and say hey hope you listen to this and you know try to build a relationship organically that way which is definitely not organic <laughs> because you're you're you know asserting inserting yourself into somebody's life um, I think the the best thing to do honestly is is to not make radio your goal. I think is that you want to play you make the music that you believe in and play it wherever you can be heard and if and again, I think good art always rises to the top and it'll always find itself like the right people will find that music and and then when those right people find that find your music, then they will direct you to the people like me who will help prepare you for radio. But I think I'm just maybe this is kind of a pie in the sky mentality but to me it's like if you I think your job as an artist is to to write the songs that that you are that you were designed and purposed to write and play those songs at 
church or in the coffee shops or at stinking birthday parties or whatever I don't know and and just play those songs and put them you know get them out in the venues that you that you can you know you, social media or YouTube and um and, and and kind of let the radio thing I I, I, I think you kind of got to just put that behind you for a little bit and then just keep making your craft the best that it can be keep keep working hard if it's something again that you feel like this is 100% what God's calling me to do I'm going to just keep working this I'm going to keep getting better I'm going to keep writing better songs I'm going to uh, write better hooks and um, and and better melodies and choruses and just structurally and just make a really great great group of songs crop of songs and um, and then from there just see how that plays out I, I know that's kind of a vague answer and <laughs> it's not very helpful I think um, I think that's a great answer and that and that's honestly a great way to wrap up and it's a really honest statement that I really do believe that nowadays technology has made it so that if you make something that's truly great and truly compelling it will be found yeah and it will be heard whether it's YouTube or Spotify or SoundCloud or mm-hmm. you just playing it at a coffee shop it, it like if it's truly really really that good mm-hmm. people will hear it and people will find you yeah and if you're not being found out I mean that's just to, to, to be completely blunt about it it's probably just not there yet yeah so it's just like keep writing keep mm-hmm. honing your chops keep uh, partnering yourselves with other collaborators and you'll, yeah. you'll, you'll eventually get heard if it's good enough yes I agree radio is just so far down the road <laughs> but I think it's just so easy when you're listening to radio all the time to think this is this is the next step this is what I gotta do in order to be successful and it's like radio does in, in equal some success for sure but there's so many more steps in the process before you get to there and I almost just think that, yeah a lot of times what I want to tell artists is just to relax and if God has if you really believe this is your calling that you know you're gonna that that will all work out in his timing and so what, what you're saying is that I should mobilize my fan base to bombard the radio stations <laughs> with emails and phone calls <laughs> Oh my word, no! <laughs> like that is the that is the uh, that's so funny because almost every artist. I mean, it's not so much anymore, but actually, it kind of is. There's always those artists that are like the usually the management or something will be like, well, should we should we do a call out to the stations and you know what stations do we really want to get on this song? And I'm just like, please do not do that because <laughs> radio stations can tell from a mile away when that happened and they start getting all these calls for for John Smith's new single that they've never played and all of a sudden every they've got every call coming in for that and that almost can solidify that that song will never get played they'll never be John Smith on this station because of what just happened I won't tell John Smith you said that yeah sorry John I'm sure there's about 20 of you listening to this right now this is Seth Mosley and you've been listening to the Full Circle Music Show the why of the music biz this was an amazing episode thanks for sticking around with us on this one If you feel at all that you've gotten value out of listening to the Full Circle Music Show, like we know that 
hundreds and thousands of others have, go ahead over to iTunes and leave us a good rating and a good review. That really helps us out a lot. We've heard from some people that have taken college degrees in music that they've gotten more out of just listening to the Full Circle Music Show than their entire four years at college. That's actually a real testimonial from one of our listeners. If you feel like you've gotten value out of what we're doing and you've learned something, then share it with a friend and leave us a good rating and a good review on iTunes. This show is produced by the Full Circle Music Show with editing help from Jericho Scroggins. We will see you next week.